0: Long story short,
1: six months later, he fired me.
0: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Peter Sidington. Peter, are you ready to join the mission? Let's go. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. And for the listeners out there, you can't see it, but for the viewers, you can. All those cool stickers and posters and cars and all of that, which I'm sure we're going to get into as we get into our discussion. But let me introduce you to the audience. Peter is a software developer, a multi-founder, an author, and a VC. He founded a $2.5 million Bitcoin mining fund, a $10 million Internet of Things fund, and a $50 million Web3 fund in 2022. He published three books, Scrum, Agile, and Personal Branding. And he writes the Agile VC newsletter, which covers inside startups, venture capital, and life. Peter, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Thanks so much for that
1: amazing introduction, Andrew. It's a pleasure for me to be on this podcast as a guest, and I am excited to tell a little bit of my story to your audience here. What is my unique characteristic or what is the unique proposition that I bring to the world? Well, it's very simple. I like to document life. The first time that I ever put a video online was in 1998, and this is the time of Lycos, GeoCities, Ask Jeeves, and MetaCrawler. Right? These were the the times of the before the .dot com, before the .dot com boom and bust. I put my first video online, and I decided from then it was on Zanga. By the way, on Zanga. Zanga. So, for some of you guys might not know of Zanga, but it's still out. It's X A N G A. Zanga. So I put it all up on Zanga, and I had it uploaded to my own server. And from ever since the late 90s till today, so two decades plus later, I love sharing my life on video, my life on social media, when social media platforms came out in the early 2000s, and blogging and writing and letting the world know about my journey. I always found it to be fascinating that many people aren't documenting their journey. And so for me, I've been able to accrue a a global audience and be able to have people that have walked with me through life, through many of my experiences, my startups, my projects, my venture funds, and they've supported me for over a decade. And so the unique proposition I bring to the world is I love documenting life, whether it's building companies, building startups, learning, growing. I have three graduate degrees, so three master's degrees. So Mm. i have Proof in the pudding when it comes to the uh, the old traditional way of learning. And I love documenting and sharing my life with others. And hopefully, just hopefully, Andrew, I can be an inspiration for those that are watching or listening.
0: Well, I think you're, you're definitely already an inspiration to a lot of people. And one of the questions I have for you is that, you know, I... Uh, I teach a course evaluation masterclass bootcamp and it's a six week course. And I try to tell people like, first thing I do, so I help them work on their LinkedIn and I'm like, you got to come up with a hook, you know, like what's a hook of why someone should even pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. And I gave them an example. Like I have a hook on, on LinkedIn. My first hook on LinkedIn is the worst. Mm -hmm. I am the worst podcast host of my worst investment ever. Now, that hook turns out to be kind of strange, you know, like people are like, why do you call yourself the worst and all that? Well, the reason why I originally did it, Peter, is just because I was not confident of doing podcasts and all that. So I thought, hey, if you call yourself the worst, you make a mistake. He said, hey, I told you I was the worst. So, you know, what do you expect? Well, a little self-deprecating humor is never bad. <laughs> but the other thing I was saying to them that they've got to tell a story, you know, they got to tell mm-hmm. something. Like I, I give them an example. I said, you know, an example of I was in jail at the age of 14 Hmm. and I almost killed myself at the age of 17. Well, now you have more than my interest. Now you have my attention. I think the hook's working. So there's (laughs) a hook, there's an open loop. But what I'm trying to get them to think about is something that you already naturally do, which is share. And they're Hmm. like, you know, they don't, sometimes they don't want to write. And some of them like to do videos, but others don't, and all that. And I'm just thinking, like, What can I tell them that can help them see? I mean, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to show them your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your other areas of your life and and all that Mm. and say, Mm. let's use this as an example, but what would you tell them if you were speaking to them or other young people that are listening?
1: Well, my third book, and i don't I don't want to jump into it too early, but my third book is all about that. And I give it away for free. So for everyone that's watching or listening, I'll make sure to give it to Andrew here so he can link it below or link it wherever it needs to be. It's called Gravity. And this book is all about creating gravity to yourself in a web three world where, frankly, your voice is getting drowned out by so many others. And so let me take a step back before I go into more of that context there, the first question that I would ask is, you know, what's the end purpose? What's the end goal? Is it a career move that you wanna make? Is it a leveling up? Is it a project you wanna endeavor on? Is it a new hobby? Like, What is it that where social could provide value to you or put differently, how creating content can help elevate you, help grow you, help move you towards that goal, I think in most cases, if because I gave a lot of kind of generic ideas here, I think in most cases, that's generally where people want to be, is they want to level up, they want to grow something, they want to do a passion project, a hobby, or they just want to improve some aspect of their life. This is what YouTube and video are great for. And so my advice to them always is absolutely do the easiest thing, and the easiest thing is document, don't create. Mm. Document. Don't create. When you create, it takes mind space and you get in, and your rational brain, your logical brain starts to take over and says, You're not good at this. You're not going to communicate it effectively. You're not a good speaker. You don't look good on camera, or you messed up the way that you said that sentence. That's the problem with planning and creating. Documentation requires none of that. Mm. And so that was. For me, this was over two decades ago, when I came to the realization that it's far easier to document my life than to create a narrative around it, that allowed me the right muscle memory and growing the right muscles to say, you know what, I can do this. I can post about what I'm doing now. I can post about what's interesting to me. I can post and show what I'm into now. And the documentation will never be polished. It's not meant to be. Mm. The purpose of documenting, not creating, is to grow that muscle memory, to grow that discipline, so that you will continue to create content. As per your purpose and the reason that you're doing it, obviously, with that in the background. Mm. But th- in most cases, just like you said with this narrative, with this hook, document documenting over time grows your confidence, it grows your narrative ability, it grows your speaking ability, and eventually you move into the highest level of communication, which is what you brought in early, which is storytelling. Storytelling is the masterclass of how to engage people's hearts, minds, and souls. And the only way that you can get to becoming a great storyteller is you have to learn how to communicate effectively. And the best way, in my opinion, starting you know with 20 years of experience now, is just document,
0: don't create. Oh, great, you know, great point. So the first thing is like, what are you trying to do? And then the second is shift your mindset. You know, we're not talking about spending a lot of time trying to create some amazing content. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. And I know for my students, they have three goals. They fall in three categories. Number one, they're a student who wants to get their first job in finance. Number two, they're a finance professional who wants to accelerate their career. And number three, they're an engineer or other professional who wants to move into the industry of finance. And those are the three types of people that join my valuation masterclass. And now I think what I need to do is talk to them and say, make sure you clearly understand what category you're in. And then think about, you know what's your objective here? Who are you reaching out to? What are you trying to do with that? And then help them to think, maybe what I'm trying to do is get them to document their journey in the valuation masterclass bootcamp.
1: Exactly. And I would actually maybe even remove a little bit of friction in what you just said, maybe lower the barrier to entry even more. And what I would say for the people that are working with you, because I take, look how many notes I've taken already. People that are working with you who are looking for their first job, are looking to advance or accelerate their career Mm -hmm. or move into the industry. The answer is the same, brother. The answer is the same, which is simply document your journey. All the common theme in all three of those is very simple. It's Mm. the individual themselves wanting and desiring to move to a next phase in life. That is the commonality. The best way, in my opinion, now you, you might have other people who have different opinions, but the best way in today's social media, socially rich, social content, social community, web three world that we live in today, I'll tell you, brother, All three of those can benefit from documenting their journey. Why? Because you're trying to get to the next phase. There are many other people just like you that are trying to get to the next phase. They want to garner confidence from you. They want to see other people doing it. They want to see other people struggling through it. They want to learn vicariously, sometimes just maybe being a lurker and that's okay. And they just want to see what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. what happens always is when you document over a period of time, job opportunities arise, people from your subscriber base, your follower base, or your community reach out and say, hey, I've been following you. You don't know me, but I've been following you and listening to you for two and a half months, and my company just had an engineering job open, and I kind of like you. You're visually appealing, you communicate well, and the way that you're talking, it seems like you might be a good fit.
0: This Mm -hmm. is the world we live in now, Andrew. Yep. That's great. So document their journey of moving to the next phase in their life. Yeah. That's what they're, and in the, in the valuation masterclass, I always say from day one, valuation masterclass is about transformation, not information. So they're constantly focusing on what's their transformation. But I think based upon what you've said, I need them to kind of declare that right at the beginning. Where are they going? Yeah, And exactly. then that then allows the journey to unfold, you know, more clearly when we understand where they're going. It's a chapter in my third book that everyone here is going to get
1: for free. Is And the title of it is, Where Do You Want to Be? Like, Where do you want to be? Yep. And kind of a little bit of a, a jab that I like to add in there is that there are, and I say this to people that I work with, is I tell them there are already people less sophisticated than you, less smart than you, less resourced than you, maybe even older than you, who are doing what you're doing. And they're not as capable, but they're already doing what you want to do, and they're, they are already at the place that you want to be. And so the rails for that in this world are already established right? The rules for that, in many ways, Mm. are already established. The frameworks, the mental models around that are already established in a lot of, of course, you're going to traverse your own path, but don't be deceived. Where Mm. you want to be, someone is already there, and in most cases, (laughs) many of those people are less smart, less sophisticated, and less capable than you, and they're already where you want to be. And so by documenting your journey, you can find, and you can bring to yourself people who can help you get to there, and sometimes, just sometimes, if you're really assertive in your documentation and content creation, you end up connecting with the people that in the place that you want to be. And they end up helping you
0: or mentoring you. And so So I'm not the first one on the railroad tracks. You know, there's people before me and there's people... Behind me, and yeah, there
1: was a wise man who said once in long ago in history, he said that there's nothing new under the sun. And because there's nothing new under the sun, this is truly true. Everything mm-hmm. that you and I experience in this life, let's be intellectually honest, is not that novel or new. Yep. It's in mo- many cases just a permutation of an already existing entity or existing situation or existing context. Yeah. And so I think we need not always try to reinvent the wheel here when it comes to personal improvement. I think that really is kind of the umbrella statement of a
0: lot of what we're talking about here. A lot of, a lot of great tidbits for all of us including myself. I had one student she was a, a lady that had worked about 10 15 years at a bank in Nigeria. And she understood banking very well, but she wanted to change her career and move into consulting. So she took the Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, did really well. Amazing because she was working full-time. You know, bootcamp's super hard. In fact, the symbol of how hard it is oh. is that I kick ass. I'm, for those that aren't seeing it, I'm wearing my bootcamp hat, which is like my <laughs> drill instructor hat, where I tell people the bootcamp is tough. So she survived, despite the fact she was working full-time and raising four children. Oh, And she documented her journey, not in a huge way on LinkedIn, but just little bits. And she got a big four consulting firm reach out to her on LinkedIn and got hired by them. And she switched her career out of that commercial banking and then now has a global career. And so it works, the documentation and all that. So you really fired that up for me for my students and I know for the listeners and viewers. So for that, I appreciate it. And I just want to tell everybody, I'll have links in the show notes to go get the book, download it and start to learn. Absolutely. And one thing that you'll read in the book, and I don't mind re-quoting
1: it here because it's so opportune, is especially for those that are serious about personal development and personal improvement, I always tell them straight to their face. I say, no one is going to build your dream for you. No one is going to carry you there no one's going to show you the path and so who is going to tell the universe who's going to tell the divine matrix that this is a value to you that this is something that you care about who is going to carry that torch and the answer obviously is nobody but yourself and so we have an amazing medium today it's called social media and the internet and now with this amazing medium you can communicate your purpose, even though you're not there yet. You Mm. can communicate your purpose to the world and bring like-minded individuals to yourself that in many cases will end up helping you. And you might say, how are they going to help you? If they just comment on every one of your videos and says, keeps going, trust me. In the dark days, Andrew, you know, as an operator and entrepreneur yourself, you know, sometimes those comments that one positive comment will last you a month. You'll yeah. live off that positivity. Yep. And so, especially in the dark times, creating content is a way to connect with people of like mind that can give you the the mental and emotional, maybe not physical, but it'd be great if it was physical these days, mm. but mental and emotional and psychological support that you need to, to continue
0: on and persevere on that dream that you so say you care about. Mm. Yeah, and it's good. The last thing I would say about this discussion is that For those people who were like me when I was young, and we thought that just put your head down, do your work, you're going to get recognized, you're going to get noticed. I watched many people in my career. I mean, my career was a great career, but I watched many people go further than me that were much less qualified. They produced much less than what I did, but they knew how to balance the amount of production they were doing with the amount of promotion that they were doing. And you've got to get out there and nobody's going to tell your story. Like you've just said, nobody's going to tell it except you. And what you've got to do is bring it out there until it gets to a point where other people start telling your story. Absolutely.
1: I like the way you ended that. Yes. <laughs> you keep telling your story until other people tell your story. Oh, yep, there it is. So I'm, I'm locking that one away. Lots of I'm- stuff.
0: So I listen to this podcast and. Guy was in jail when he was 14 and, you know, haven't closed that loop yet, but now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story.
1: Oh, man. Well, as a venture capitalist and perennial entrepreneur, so I've been an entrepreneur since the mid nineties. I look young. I'm in my (laughs) forties, but maybe that's the Asian in me. You would know coming from Bangkok, Thailand. Andrew, but it was kind of hard to choose my worst investment ever. And what I ended up landing on is not an investment of any monetary or fiscal consideration. It was a relational investment. And so the context building up to this was over a decade ago now. So we're in 2023. So over a decade ago, I built an amazing startup, bootstrapped it out of my garage, a garage that is similar to what I'm sitting in right now. And it was this passion project of mine. It was The cryptocurrency at the time and digital currency was just growing. And what was amazing about it is that there were these silos of exchanges and they were all disparate islands of sorts, and there was no ability to create arbitrage opportunities between multiple exchanges. So for me as an engineer developer, I thought this was an absolutely tasty proposition of becoming a middleware solution provider, essentially, so that traders and investors would be able to trade cross-platform in multiple exchanges and find opportunities for liquidity and Obviously, any type of arbitrage or spread; these types of things that I'm sure your audience knows well all well about. And so, this was early in the digital currency days, and so no one was doing this. And man, I was so excited! I, as an engineer, I laid first brick. I started building it out. I started putting together a team, bootstrapping it myself out of my own money. Eventually, over a period of many validations with our community and and user groups, uh, saying that this is work, this works, this is amazing. You should scale this out. And then we ended up raising $4.8 million for this venture, for this project. And everything was gravy. It was amazing. It seemed like there was no possibility that this thing could ever go off the rails. We had a growing community. I had already at that time done meetups in San Francisco, Dallas, New York, Atlanta, Miami, Tokyo. Like, our global community of cryptocurrency and digital currency enthusiasts was growing we had ambassadors in each of these different cities that were giving out swag growing growing the startup our our user growth was amazing at the time we had was really substantial at the time we had almost 78% of daily active users which is unheard of in a retail kind of application usually you're looking at like less than 10%. Right. And of course, everything was hype and everything was new. And so with all this money and this, and this was a, a decade plus ago, so I was a little more naive and a mm-hmm. little less experienced in my operational duties and operational maturity for sure. There was a rising engineer in this startup. So fast forward about two and a half years into it. And a rising engineer, brilliant engineer. For me, he could cut code with the best of them. And what was great about it is that I saw in him the amazing ability to be able to do stuff beyond myself. Now I consider myself pretty well, you know, full stack engineer. I've been coding since the 90s. For me, code is not a problem. I love learning it. And so it was this amazing opportunity to mentor and to go go even deeper with this engineer and developer. Here's why this ended up becoming my worst investment. I was so enamored by his communication ability at the time my communication ability at the time was still pretty good it's better now but mm-hmm. it's more polished now for sure but my communication ability a decade ago wasn't terrible i was relatively sophisticated in the operational world i had finished my first acquisition at 9 years a 9 year grind that allowed me to become the the usual trope of a of an operator you know turned venture capitalist type of deal and i was so enamored by his the way that he communicated and his skill set and the models he created. He he blew me away with his visuals and he blew me away with the kind of the, the presentation layer, if you will. And I was so enamored by this that I said, you are the right person to lead this company into the next, the next phase, because you have the technical prowess to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the immaturity for me was focusing on a technical skill that I needed that he had, that could help scale our application to the next level. Lord knows to lead a company, and you know this as well, it takes more than technical aptitude. It takes leadership skills. It takes relational skills. It creates communication skills, team building skills, right? financial skills, some type of managerial, like I could go on and on and on and on. And in my naivete and in my ignorance, And being blown away by his technical prowess and thinking and considering that being the the primary value that he could provide to me and my company, I ended up elevating him to CEO. Long story short, six months later, he fired me. I got fired (laughs) from my own company. And this was a passion project. We're three years in at this time, Andrew. And this sent me into, and I think this is important and this is really crucial. I always, up to this point, I had always thought depression was a weak man's game. Mm. I always thought depression was, you just couldn't hack it. You don't have the emotional constitution to be able to survive the dark days, right? Because I had a nine-year grind to acquisition, my mm. first company. That's a decade plus of grind, slaving, and I, I. there were dark days. But this was the first true, and I, I think this is important, the first true identity rug pull. This was the first time, Andrew, that I realized that my identity was wrapped up in what I did, not who I was. Mm -hmm. And this man revealed to me through firing me from my own company, sending me into a nine-month depression cycle of which I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I wanted to literally lay on my couch and do nothing. I thought my world was gone. My wife was kicking me in the butt. And she was telling me like, you got to figure something out. You're an entrepreneur. Go build the next thing. Right. And I stewed in this and stewed in this and stewed in this. And then maybe we can have a conversation Mm. about that later. But the lessons I learned, the Mm. lessons I learned in relationships is you must understand the individual more, deeper, than just what they bring to the table. If you're going to be doing any type of promotions, I'm sure you probably have some horror stories and some promotions of your own that you promoted people and they turned out not being the right fit, if we want to put it that way, to put it mildly. And the second thing that I learned was not only that, number one, I need to understand the farther spectrum of this person's ability and understand whether they're capable, but number two, they need to be a person that can be led and Mm. can lead others. This person was not that person. They ended up tanking the entire company. And third, and most crucially, time. I didn't spend enough time really digging in with him. I had grown with him peripherally as the CEO and founder of the company, and he was an engineer. But as he started coming up, up the ranks, I just didn't spend enough time to truly understand the depth of the man, the morality of the man, the ethics of the man. And most importantly, the integrity of the man. Mm. And whenever I say the word integrity, integrity has no positive or negative. Integrity is more important than I think morality and ethics because morality and ethics have a can have a sliding rule of good and bad. Integrity is just integrity. It is what it is, right? This wood has integrity, mm. right? Gravity has integrity. It just is what it is. You can't argue with it. And mm. whenever I bring up integrity when it comes to companies is do you have internal reliability? It's the scientific terms. And do you have internal consistency from what you say and what you do? And it takes time to be able to really tease that out and be able to validate the veracity and truthfulness of what they say they're going to do and if they actually do it. And these are three powerful lessons from my worst investment ever of being overly emotional. We all know that we make our best decisions mm-hmm. when we're highly emotional, right? Uh, <laughs> being emotional and and being enamored by by essentially just lipstick, right? On a pig yeah. of sorts. And being enamored by the tasty treats and the ice cream when the rest of it wasn't really filling. And so this was something that had countless life lessons for me, and I'm in many cases I'm just
0: touching the tip of the iceberg. Yeah that's great. Lots of great learning there. And I think for everybody, you're going to face these situations of hiring. And what I would say, the thing that I was thinking about a lot when you were talking is my business partner, Dale, who runs our coffee factory, that's now 28 years old or so. And basically we grew up together in Ohio. We knew each other since we were about 14. We lived with each other in Ohio, we lived with each other in California, and then we came to Thailand. I came first, and he was studying Japanese, then he came to Thailand. And I knew he had a skill in coffee because he was working in coffee in America, so clearly he had the skill. But there's just no way that you can know also. You know, I mean, there's an aspect of this that you just, things are revealed. And when I think about what he went through and what most startup companies go through, it's like you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death yes <laughs> and the question is can that person get to the other end of that valley mm-hmm. and that is not only about their skills skills are important and that helps you know in Dale's case he can open up an espresso machine with the highest tech in it take it completely apart with the technicians show the client exactly how it works that's fantastic but that skill is not what's going to get you to the end of that valley and so Mm. when you think about the hiring aspect for a leader it's really can that person bring to bear all the resources they possibly can from different aspects of their life and other people's to get to the the end of that valley and i think that's that's very hard to predict too It is hard to predict, but I've
1: learned something and I've created a rubric around this. So I'm going to ask you a question. You can completely disagree with me on this, and maybe it's just my heuristic and my anecdotal experience here in this one life that I got. But from this experience over a decade ago, I ended up creating a rubric that required management or leadership. Let's just bring it up a level. Executive leadership must be multifaceted in their capabilities. Because leading a and this is just coming from Peter, because leading a company, in my experience, requires the multifacetedness of an individual where they can do multiple things with excellence. And it's not that you're going to be the jack of all trades and you're awesome at all 10 things that are required of an executive leader never going to happen. However, it has to be more than just that technical skill that Mm. got them to the job themselves. And it was so funny. There was a a friend of mine, after I went through this experience, he sent me this Dilbert comic. I'm not going to get it right, but essentially it was this idea of this engineer so good at being an engineer. Let's promote him to management that requires social skills. And it's (laughs) like, the joke obviously is, if he's a great engineer, you should probably keep him a great engineer instead of promoting him into failure, promoting him into a position that he's not going to succeed at. And so that's what I did. I promoted someone who was amazing at what he did technically, but he did not have the multifacetedness that I believe is required at the executive level. What say you?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think the I would just add one last thing is that you've got to have some, you've got to have demonstrated your multifacetedness Mm. while the building's on fire.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like like under
0: pressure. And Mm. that's where it gets hard because every business has significant challenges that you got to get over. And so I would say I like the idea of kind of relentlessness, resilience. Mm. You've got to be able to rise when it's tough. So, I agree, multifacetedness and also some demonstration that you've got the toughness to get through it. So, you are absolutely correct. I wrote a blog post that of my most basic rubric
1: for an investment in an operator or entrepreneur, which is resilience and perseverance. That's all I require. Because at the end of the day, you already have the technical skills or you already have enough to want to do this project, this passion project. You might not have all the resources to do it, but. At the end of the day, because the venture fund is a 10-year lifespan, I think that's by design, because Mm. in my experience, it generally takes 10 years to do anything of significance. And so can you last 10 years? Can you persevere 10 years? Can you be resilient when you get punched in in the groin, right? When Mm. you get seriously punched in the groin, are you able to pick yourself back up and continue and persevere under that
0: duress and under that stress? You hit the nail on the head, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the challenge and I think a lot of that gets revealed. That's why it's also, it's sometimes you can solve this problem by hiring people and putting people in place that have already done it, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. always solve it too. So, you know, there's no permanent solutions in this, but let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what's one action that you could recommend to a listener or a viewer who is in the same spot, they've got that technical person, they're sitting there and they're thinking, I need this and that and this. And I think that that, what's one action that you would recommend they take to avoid suffering the same fate?
1: The first, it's easy. You should buy two books. The first book is Asking Great Questions by Eileen Gibb, G-I-B-B. Okay. Asking Great Questions by Eileen Gibb. And the second book is Great Leaders Ask Great Questions by Maxwell. Okay. And the context is ask more questions. Ask more questions. I'll tell you, brother, the number one most important skill, I believe, in any type of investment is, are you willing to ask every single bloody question possible? Are you experienced enough to know the questions to ask? Are you sophisticated enough to reach for questions that avail emergent opportunities in emergent context and conversation? And are you situationally aware enough to listen actively and be able to ask questions that are pertinent and important and give you context for informed decision making. And so I basically I sound like a book because I actually mm-hmm. wrote this, but everything I'm I'm repeating here is true. It's asking great questions. I am able, and I I actually pride myself in this, Andrew. I am able to go through entire meetings, workshops with investors, with startup entrepreneurs, and I don't say a bloody statement, it's only mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. I have a Rolodex of hundreds of questions, and it's not just a you know, what did you think? It's like, what does your gut say? Mm -hmm. What is your second brain considering it? Have we considered this? Have we brought this into the equation here? What happens if we do X? What happens if we do Y? Have you considered Z, right? And so these are the, the questions that I am armed with now that allow me to dig deeper into the person, the project, or the personality, which is, again, I'm kind of... I've written a lot of books. I write all the yeah. time, so I'm I'm kind of speaking out some of the things that I've written, which is why it maybe sounds ask polished questions. and smooth. But asking great questions by Eileen Gibb, great leaders ask good questions by John C. Maxwell.
0: Two great I'm gonna have books both that I those in the show notes too. I mean, I was just meeting with a client of mine, and they're a family office in Thailand, and they really hit a wall. They said to me that they've found all the companies that they feel comfortable investing in. Now they're looking outside. How we invest outside. And so I just asked them a lot of questions like, why can't you expand what your universe is and and look at some others? You know, why do you want to invest outside of of Thailand? Well, we want to learn. I said, okay, Mm -hmm. so let me ask you a question. If you invested outside of Thailand for the next five years and you learn a ton, but you lost 50% of your money, are you okay?
1: Mm, What a great scenario question.
0: Yeah. So they were like, no, 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 no. That's no, I'm not okay with that. I was like, okay, that's good. So we started to go through a lot of questions until they got to a point where they're like, it really made them think about what is motivating us to do this. And I think when Hmm. what you're telling all of us is just ask, ask, ask. But there's another aspect that you didn't say, but you did that I want to highlight. And for the listeners, I'm going to pull out something here. But the key to asking questions is listening. Yes, and actively. the key to listening is taking notes and I have a book and you have a book right here and this book is you know I've just got some of my notes here but on every single day every single week I actually wrote this book which is a planner book you know oh. and I use that to plan my life and basically you can you show up your can you open up your book just again So for those that can't see it, you know, you've got all kinds of scribbles and notes there. So, yeah, this is
1: this is all you. My worst interview ever, Andrew (laughs) Stotz. This is all the stuff that I've written just in the last 15, 20 minutes of our conversation.
0: Yeah. So I asked you a question, you know, what's one action? And your answer was ask questions. And I'm going to add on to that and write down notes on that because it's the number one way. It's the number one hack. Everybody likes to say hack secret. It's the way, the biggest hack of how to listen. All right. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Speaking of questions. Oh, next goal.
1: Well, I have an amazing startup that I'm working on that is not quite ripe yet. But if you follow me on Twitter, you follow, or you read my blog or LinkedIn or any of the social sites, you'll end up hearing about it relatively soon. This is an amazing company that I'm really excited to start with some great gentlemen, some great operators. And it's perfect because it's in my wheelhouse. Which includes three things. Number one, I love digital currency, the digital currency revolution, Bitcoin. I love it to death. One of my kind of claim to fame is I'm the Bitcoin Lambo guy. So if you Google Bitcoin Lambo, you come up with my face. I was the guy who created the Lambo memes. I'm the first guy to buy a Lamborghini with Bitcoin. Actually, it's sitting right behind me right there there in the picture. So, love digital currency, love Bitcoin, early adopter. Number two, I love, 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 love racing and cars. And so, I'm a second generation race car driver. My son is a third. And so, this company and the third is family. Mm. There's that passion about family. And so, this startup has to do with all three the blockchain with cars and race cars and family it might sound like they're not intertwineable but brother i'll tell you You there is a powerful use case
0: and i'm excited to launch it in the next 12 months fantastic and we'll be watching that we'll have links to all of all of the different stuff that you're doing including your twitter in the show notes as well as the books that you've referenced so listeners there you have it another story of loss to keep you winning remember I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And today we learned some ways to reduce risk in your hiring. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join for free our Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Peter, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
1: Stay positive and understand, as the Stoics used to say, the great Marcus Aurelius, the Epictetus, these types of individuals, they would always say that the only thing that you ever have in your control is your own reasoned choice. That's it. You can't control the outcome. You can't almost in many ways, can't even control the input. You mm-hmm. can't control the context in which the situation happens. All you can control is your own reason choice and how you're going to respond to the situation at hand. And my answer to that is always stay positive.
0: That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.